0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to turn to Matthew 28, a very popular passage, one Very well-known passage, but I hope we never get tired of reading it. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, that you may teach us and instruct us from your word, Father. We pray, Father, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you may be working in our minds, not only in our minds, but in our hearts, O oh Father, and not only in our hearts, O oh Father, but in our wills, Father that, Lord, we would not only make discovery as we search your word this morning, and not only would we learn things, but, oh, Father, our hearts may be uh, truly, truly uh, overjoyed by these things, and that, Father, you would work these things really, truly into the fabric of the way we walk, uh, our walk with you, O oh, Father. So, O oh, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would speak to our whole persons this morning, O oh, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to begin this morning by asking a couple questions that really kind of spell out where I want to go this morning. And the first question is Do you get excited about baptism? Do you get excited about baptism? Looking at some of your faces, I think it's no. <laughs> That's just a joke. Now, I see a few smiles now. You don't look at me like, do you get excited about baptism? Just a joke there. There's, there's a smile. I see it. Um, but all truthfulness, do you get excited about baptism? Do you, does it produce joy in your soul? Do you get excited about the Lord's Supper? Does that produce joy in your soul? Um, do these ordinances have a special place in your life? Um, do, does the very thought of them feed your soul? The reason I asked this question, and I, uh, I've chosen to introduce the sermon this way this morning, is because how we understand the sacraments are going to greatly influence how we answer that question. For example, if you think of the sacraments in terms of a mere memorial, In other words, if you think of the sacraments only in terms of a reminder of historical facts, then, of course, there'll be some initial excitement produced when you think about baptism or you think about the Lord's Supper. But my guess is it's only going to be an excitement that's going to last for a certain extent. Uh, Or another example, if you think of the sacraments in terms of your own personal commitment. Uh, For example, if you think about baptism in terms of your commitment to be the Lord's, Uh, to leave the world, to be the Lord's, to be holy unto the Lord. Uh, uh, If you think about baptism solely as your public profession of faith and your commitment to follow Him, then there can be great excitement at the start. And often there is great excitement at the start. But what happens to that excitement as the months go by? I can tell you from firsthand experience, I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again, that that excitement soon and quickly fades, doesn't it? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the sacraments have nothing to do with reminding us of historical facts, nor am I saying that the sacraments don't say anything uh, to our personal commitment to follow the Lord and to be holy is because the answer is yes, they do. Yes, they do, but what I am saying is that if this is how we think of the sacraments we're missing the real substance of it. I mean we're a risk, we're missing the real substance of it god has He has so blessed us I mean he has so greatly blessed us, and he knows how weak we are and how frail we are and He has, he has given us these ordinances of baptism in the lord's Supper to meet us in our weakness to meet us in our frailty for the express purpose of of strengthening us in that weakness. In other words, we could say that the sacraments are a means of grace. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I have a I have a sentence here that I've I've spent a lot of time on uh, getting it just right, and I'll read it for you twice. Uh, the sacraments or ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are powerful instruments. They're powerful instruments designed by God to meet us in our weakness and frailty for the express purpose of strengthening our faith. Let me read that again. Some of you are writing. The sacraments or ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are powerful instruments designed by God to meet us in our weakness and frailty for the express purpose of strengthening our faith. Now, I was overjoyed last week. As I began, we we were working our way into an understanding of these sacraments. We've, we've, We've been working on this for a few weeks. And I was overjoyed last week that a couple of you came to me and you said, you know, the Lord's Supper was just so precious to me this week. Um, I was really, really fed last week. Uh, of course, I like to hear that every Sunday. And having said that, don't, don't make it up to say that to me because you know I like to hear that. I only want to hear it when it's true. Um, the reason I like to hear it is because it's, we should all like to hear that. It means God is working in your life. It means God is feeding you. Uh, it means God's doing what we what call on Him and ask Him to do. And I, I, was, I was especially blessed that you said that you were really fed as you participated in the Lord's Supper. Well, that's exactly what Christ promises to do in the Lord's Supper, is feed us. And you experienced that strengthening grace, didn't you? It's an instrument in God's hands designed to strengthen us, to feed us. Now, in a future sermon I intend to teach on the Lord's Supper. This morning I want to continue with baptism. And I want to continue with what I've been developing out of Genesis 17. It's been our springboard. But here's my point, and um, I include the Lord's Supper in this point because it's one of the sacraments. But the point I want to bring this morning is that God has, he has really blessed us. He's richly blessed us with these ordinances. These ordinances are given to meet us in our, our weakness and our and in our frailty. They're designed by God to strengthen us, and they, they are baptism in the Lord's Supper. I want to treat both of them with some detail. That would be way too much. Uh, this would quickly be one of those two- or three-hour sermons if we tried to do it all at once. Um, we're not going to do that. Some of you will be happy to know. Um, but uh, this morning, I want to take up baptism. And as I was thought about baptism, I mean, it, it's 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 a, we could spend. Listen, we could spend the rest of this year on baptism. There wouldn't be a problem to do. And as I start developing some of these things, you're going to agree and say, "Wow, we could spend like we could spend a couple of Sundays just on that one point alone." I don't want to draw it out like that. I want to just kind of do it in one morning. Uh, but um, there's there's so much to be said. I want to say it under really three headings. You know, if I could put three. Uh, pegs on the wall that we could hang things on, uh, three headings, three headings in your mind to hang all these truths on. The first one would be the institution of, the, or of, of baptism, if you will, uh, the institution of baptism. The second one, which we'll spend most of our time on this morning, is the blessings, the blessings of baptism, the blessings, I should say, that baptism points to. And of course, the third peg would be our responsibility uh, namely our response um, to uh, to these things. So with those three headings in mind, let's start with the institution of the sacrament. Uh, that's what we're reading about here in Matthew 28. Uh, Jesus is up there about to depart from the earthly company of His close disciples, and He presents His church with a charge. In verse 18, He states that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him, In other words, Jesus has been crowned with absolute authority. He reigns supreme as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he says, go therefore. That word therefore is a sermon that will preach, by the way, just on the side. Uh, My temptation when I wrote that in my notes, therefore, was to elaborate on that. I'm not going to do that um, because there's so much more going on. But I'll just say this because I can't keep my mouth shut. Um, Therefore, there is a sermon with that single word right there. Therefore, um, he says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So in this famous and most precious paragraph, Jesus is there instituting, you can see, baptism. And, of course, baptism is the new replacement for circumcision. And as I develop baptism this morning... Those of you who have heard some of the earlier messages on circumcision, you're, you're going to find yourself saying, wait, that sounds, like, that sounds like what was going on with Abraham. Yes, it is what was going on with Abraham. I said, so, wait, that sounds like what was going on. Yes, it is what's going on with Abraham. You'll see the parallels. My purpose this morning isn't to draw the parallel, but you'll see the parallels as we begin to do this. Now, here, in my first point, I want you to see this Jesus who is instituting baptism. It's important that we understand that. It's not a concoction of church history, nor is it a product of church tradition. Okay? Jesus institutes it. Why is that so important? Because all of the things that we're going to set on top of this foundation are not resting upon church history or what was practiced in an earlier day, necessarily. All of the things that we're going to set down on this foundation rest upon the authority of Christ. And that's of crucial importance here. And it'll become more important next week, Lord willing, when we begin to expand on these. And namely, what I want to do this morning is try to get through a lot of the theology of this, and next week really show how to make application of that. I Kind of do this, and we'll do a little bit of that this morning, but what we want to see this morning is that baptism, baptism rests on the very authority of Christ. It was instituted by Him, ordained by Him. The washing with water in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is something that has been designed by God to strengthen us in our frailty and in our weakness. And let me me share another sentence that I've drafted here, and I want to read it slowly because I've chosen every word very carefully. We need to remember that baptism is a sign. Baptism is a sign. It's a sign that points away from itself. You're going to see that over and over again this morning as we go through these things. It's a sign that points away from itself to an otherwise invisible spiritual covenant blessing. So it's a sign that points away from itself to an otherwise invisible spiritual covenantal blessing And it seals or proves or confirms, if you will, this spiritual blessing to the one who participates in saving faith. Does that make sense? So the sign points away from itself to something that's invisible. And it serves as a seal to prove or confirm to the one who's participating in saving faith. It's to prove that or confirm that spiritual blessing. So all of this, again, does not rest on a man-made tradition or a concoction of church history. It rests on the very foundation of the authority of Christ. That's the institution. Let's take up the blessings. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Because as we search the scriptures, we discover that there are, uh, ma- there are varied blessings that baptism points to. As we search the Scriptures, we discover that Christ has instituted baptism to be a sign and seal of the believer's union with Christ. Of our union with Christ. What's that mean? We'll let Jesus be the teacher there. Because He's the most brilliant teacher. And He taught this in such graphic and clear ways. Namely, in John 15, verse 5. When Jesus says, I am the vine... And he says to his believers, his disciples, you are the branches. That's very graphic and simple, isn't it? All of us know that if you cut a branch off a vine, what happens to the branch? It stays green for a little while, the leaves, but then they, they brown up and they, they wrinkle like the leaves that look on our, our yards now. Some of them are still bright in color, but you know what's going to happen to them. They're going to you know, they start to kind of fold up and they just wither because they've been severed from the life. They've been severed from the life. Another graphic chip, picture that we get comes from the Apostle Paul. We, oftentimes, we don't look at this verse for this, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul writes, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, a lot of times when we're looking Ephesians 5, we're looking at ministry into the family. You know, and just on the side, I'll say, fellas, this, you know, those of us who are married, there's a call here. We're called to lead our our, our families, called to lead our, our spouses spiritually here. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. But that all having been said and set aside, here we see the metaphor that Paul is using is the metaphor of uh, the body. Our bodies have heads, right? Everybody got a head? You want to make sure and get back to us? And the body is in union with the head, isn't it? So we have a union of a body with its head. Christ is the head, while the church is His body. So there's another image of, of this union. Now, if you would turn with me to Galatians 3 and verse 27, and we'll be looking at this verse a second time, so you, you, you might want to put your bulletin in there. Uh, maybe when you find a place, we'll be turning back before the message is over. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 There we read, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27. Do you see that? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there we see the the linkage between baptism and union with Christ. are engrafting into the body and thus being put into connection with Christ to His head of that body. Everyone can see that? So, what's that mean for us? Well, it means that just as the branch receives everything from the vine, we receive everything from Christ. Everything. Wow. Power, salvation, freedom from sin, righteousness, eternal life, on and on and on. Uh, if we might use the language of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as a result of our union with Christ. Now, I want you to think this through with me for a minute. Can you see your union with Christ? Now, I'm not asking you to look inwardly in a sense where you perceive that you're in union with Christ. I'm asking you with your eyes. Can you see your union with Christ in the same way that you can see me standing here before you? And the answer is no, isn't it? Why is the answer no? Because our union with Christ is a spiritual thing. It takes place in the spiritual realm. And we can't see that, can we? We can't see it. But the Lord has given us something that we can see. That symbolizes what we can't see. We can see baptism. Whether a person is immersed. Whether a person has water poured over them. Whether a person is sprinkled. We can see baptism. We can see it happening. And that symbol points away from itself to a spiritual covenantal blessing. So the Lord has given us something that we can see, that points to something that we can't see. And that something that we can see not only helps us, not only exhibits for us, to use the language of the Westminster divines, It exhibits for us the spiritual reality, puts it on display so that we can see it, but it also confirms it to us. It proves it to us. To the one who's participating in saving faith. Does that make sense? So much more could be said about this, literally. I mean, we could talk about this one the rest of the morning. Um, Let's move on to the second. As we search the Scriptures, we discover that Christ has instituted baptism to be a sign and seal of the believer's remissions of sin. Now, this might be one we maybe are more familiar with. You know, if you look up remission in the dictionary, you'll find that it's the cancellation of a debt, charge, or penalty. and It involves forgiveness and full pardon from sin. Forgiveness and full pardon from sin. So the washing of water points to the washing of sin. The washing of water points to the washing of sin, a washing that the Scriptures describe to us as a washing of the blood of Christ, the washing. The Apostle John, if you turn to 1 John in verse 7, 1 John in verse 7, while you're turning there, I'll read it once and we'll read it a second time, waiting for you when you you arrive. John writes, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, everybody, see that? If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, or blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The only way to walk in the light is to walk in faith, saving faith. You don't walk in the light uh, without saving faith. That's the only way to walk in the light. Saving faith, the saving faith that we just spoke about, the saving faith that unites us to Jesus. Unites us to Jesus. And one of the blessings of this union is washing, namely namely washing in the blood, if you will. And while the Bible speaks this way, it's not ascribing any kind of magical properties to the blood of Jesus. Some of you have heard me say this before. Let's not think of the blood of Jesus as having some kind of magical property, if you will, that washes us of our sins. That's not what the Bible means. The Bible uses the blood as a metaphor for life. So when it says that we've been washed in the blood, what it says is we've been washed by the death of Christ. It's his death in our place, taking our, our, the penalty of our sin in our place that cleanses us of our sin. Now, what is in view here is that the Lord forgives us of our sins based on the death of Jesus in our place. And furthermore, the Lord sanctifies us based on the death of Jesus in our place. That's going to become more important next week. I just mention it now. What am I saying? We're not only just pardoned. We have to be more than pardoned. Last week, I put it this way. We have to be fit for heaven. We have to be fit for this fellowship that we have with God. In other words, we need to be made holy. We need to have a principle in our lives that's operating and taking us towards that end of becoming holy so that we're fit for, kingdom, for, for heaven. You ever feel awkward in a certain company? We've all experienced that, right? You won't feel awkward in heaven because you're going to be perfectly fit for heaven. You're going to be at home. There will be no awkwardness. That idea of sanctification is taking the awkwardness out of it, if you will. much more than that but uh, now let's think about this for a minute can you see the secret operation of the Holy Spirit applying Jesus atonement to you can you see it now I'm not asking you if you can see I'm not asking if you can perceive it in your soul because if you walked with Jesus for a while, you probably can perceive, we should be able to perceive in our soul that Jesus has taken our sin dead away. I'm not asking for this inward vision. I'm asking, can you see it like you can see me? Can you see that your sins have been washed away in the same way that you can see me? Can you see that all of that filth has been washed off of you? Can you see that all of that corruption has been washed off of you? Can you see that all those impurities have been washed off of you like you can see me? the answer is no. But God has given us something that we can see that graphically points to an invisible, spiritual, covenantal blessing that we can't see. And it's baptism. With the washing of water. All that sin washed away. So, baptism points to union with Christ. points to remission of sin. As we search the Scriptures, we discover that Christ has instituted baptism to be a sign and seal of the believer's regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Turn back to Titus 3.5, our Scripture memory verse. It was hard to choose a Scripture memory verse uh, this morning because I could have chosen a half a dozen of them. Which one do you choose? There isn't one that's above all the others. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now notice Paul's phrase here, the washing of regeneration. What is regeneration? Big long word, lots of syllables. Speaks of the new birth. Being born again. It's that new birth. And it's important to notice here that this washing takes place by regeneration. Notice that Paul says that it's the washing of regeneration. It's not the regeneration of washing. If you're with me, you'll see that will say something completely different. We are washed by regeneration. We are washed. We're not, we're not regenerated by washing. There's some who teach that we are regenerated by washing. We're regenerated by baptism. And that, that is called baptismal regeneration. And that's something we must strongly reject. You remember when we started a few weeks ago, I said that there's some principles here that we've got to get down and they're so important that in some cases it's the difference of salvation and no salvation. Here is a textbook example of what I'm talking about. Okay? It's an example. A person is never born again or regenerated simply by undergoing baptism. There's a lot of people that teach that that's the case. That's not the case. Look at what Paul says here very carefully. We're... we're this is the washing of regeneration. That's a real important phrase there. In English, if you reverse that word order, you're saying something totally different. Something foreign to the New Testament. You know, something that's leading a lot of people on you know, a straight path to hell. I'll tell you that right now. This is not a little thing here. It's not a little slip. This is, this is something we've got to make sure that we, that we understand. Because what's going on here? Is we're confusing the thing signified with the sign. We're confusing the sign with that to signify. Listen, we need to make sure we always understand that the sign always points away from itself to a spiritual blessing, an invisible spiritual covenant blessing. Okay, it points away from itself. Baptism is a visible sign that points to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the one who regenerates our hearts. And and some will say, well, yes, he he does regenerate us, um, but he does it at the time of baptism. Well, the Holy Spirit does not mechanically regenerate us at the time of baptism. We can't think, if if that were the case, we could just get around and baptize everybody, like baptism is some kind of vaccine spiritual vaccine we could get around we could baptize everyone i mean that that, that is possible we could do that it doesn't work that way it's a sign that points away from itself to an otherwise invisible spiritual covenantal blessing so we here we see baptism look at all the things it's pointing to union with christ it's pointing to the washing of sin regeneration of the heart As we search the scriptures, we discover that baptism has been instituted to be a sign and seal of the believer's adoption into the family of God. Adoption. Back to to Galatians 3. If you go back to that passage, Galatians 3, verse 26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there's the link. There's the link. Baptism is pointing to our adoption as sons and daughters. So we have union with Christ, remission of sin, regeneration of the heart, adoption. As we search the Scriptures, we discover that Christ has instituted baptism to be a sign and seal of the believer's resurrection and the new life. That's a sign and seal of of the promised eternal life. Promised eternal life. If you turn to Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, In verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We are buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now look at verse 5. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Here we see that baptism is pointing to union with Christ, union with His death, but also union with His life, with newness of life. So, verse 5, if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So a believer who is united to Christ in His death will also be united to Christ in His resurrection. And there we see the link between baptism and eternal life. So, Baptism is a sign and seal of eternal life. So we have union with Christ, remission of sin, regeneration of the heart, adoption, resurrection unto eternal life. And as we search the Scriptures, we discover that Christ has instituted baptism to be a sign and seal of a believer's membership into Christ's church. Membership into Christ's church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. There we read, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. There's the link between baptism and church membership. See there in verse 13? For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So baptism into the body or into the church is a work of the Holy Spirit. See that? It's not a work of water baptism. Baptism is a sign that points where? Away from itself to some invisible, spiritual, covenantal blessing. Okay? Um, if we say that baptism itself. Okay, makes us a church member, then again, we're confusing the sign with what it is signifying. Right? It's pointing away. Baptism points away to an invisible spiritual blessing. The Holy Spirit's the one who engrafts us into the church. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. So believers are not made church members by baptism. A true believer already is a church member. been made a church member in the invisible spiritual realm. So, believers are not made church members by baptism. They're publicly recognized as members by baptism. So again, baptism makes visible what is otherwise invisible. You see. Points away from itself to an invisible spiritual blessing. Now, Let me conclude with one final thing. I've spent most of our time discussing what God has done. And I've spent all of our time discussing the blessings that God has showered upon us. Blessings that are invisible, but blessings that are made visible by the sacrament of baptism. But there's a human component here. There's a a human component here. There's a promise on the part of the one baptized to be holy and only the Lord's. Now, Lord willing, I want to say more about this next time in a future message, but let me say this now. When, when people think about baptism, oftentimes, at least it's been my experience as I've talked to people, a lot of times what comes to their mind first is their public profession. You know, I was at, we were at Walmart not a whole long time ago. Well, I guess it's been a while now. And uh, one of the fellows that I used to minister to at the When we had our music store, he seen me and he came running. I mean, he came running over and he wanted to tell me something. He wanted to tell me that he'd been baptized. And I'll tell you what, I just I was just overjoyed, you know. And the whole time as he talked about baptism, though, he was really talking about baptism in terms of his public profession of faith. And a lot of times that's how we understand baptism. Listen, that's part of baptism our public profession of faith. That, okay, we're going to go public with this. You know, I, I, I've seen the light. I've seen the Lord. Uh, I, I, I want to be removed from the world. Uh, I, I want to follow Jesus. And that's certainly a part of this. Uh, we, we, we have a responsibility to do this. But if that's all, if that's all that we understand baptism to be, then what is baptism in our minds a sign of? And what is its sealing? It's a sign of our profession. It's a sign of our commitment. And it's a seal of our profession. And it's a seal of our commitment. Now, that's something completely different than what I've been elaborating on, isn't it? That's why I say if you get excited about baptism, how you understand baptism is going to affect whether you get excited about it or not. If it's a sign and seal of my personal commitment to be the Lord's, then I've made baptism something altogether different, haven't I? We got Drew and Aiden a little bow and arrow set you know, it's like one of the kids bow and arrow sets. and We did talk to the parents before we bought that for him. But me and Drew were in our yard playing with it not very long ago, just a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's not one of the fancy ones where you've got, you know, you, you know, you've got the uh, the sight and all that. It's, it's just really, it's a children's set, but it's a decent children's set. And I noticed that, like, we really couldn't figure out where to put our finger and we're trying to figure out where to put our finger and we had a. Styrofoam target set up, you know, with the five points, the 10 points, the 20 points. I think the middle was 50, and then there was a little circle above, it was 100. And, of course, we're aiming at the center of the target. And as we were starting to, like, adjust to this thing, occasionally we were missing the whole target. The arrow was going right over the whole thing. We weren't even hitting the five points on the outer edge. If we think that baptism is just exclusively about our public profession of faith and our commitment to be the Lord's, we miss that whole target. The arrow goes clear over the whole thing. It goes over the whole thing. When we begin to survey Scripture, we find that baptism is a sign and seal of the secret invisible work that God is doing, that God is committed to do. Most of this is about what God is committing to do. I don't want to say that none of it is about what we commit to do because there is indeed a responsibility on part of this. How does the responsibility work? It's the same responsibility that we have to the gospel. When the gospel is preached, we have a responsibility to believe it, don't we? We have a responsibility to respond in saving faith. Well, baptism, as you can see from this survey, baptism is a proclamation Of the gospel. What is baptism doing? It's preaching the gospel. It's preaching the gospel by giving us a sign that points away from itself to all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, isn't it? Look at all those rich blessings. Look at them. Immerse yourself in them, rest in them, cherish them. As we do that, they will feel a new and renewed sense of praise and commitment and love for our blessed Lord. So I want to ask you a question. Again, when you think about baptism, do you get excited? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you've loved us so much that you've given us So you've given us everything that we need and require. Knowing our weakness, our frailty, our proneness to wonder, you've given us this great sign, ordinance of baptism. And oh, Father, help us, help us, oh Lord, to digest all of this. There's so much here. Father, much of it is going to run to the floor. Father, in upcoming weeks as we begin to look at this again, Oh, Father, we know that you'll cause more and more of it to work its way into our minds and hearts. And Father, we do pray that, Lord, this would work its way into our lives as we continue to look at how we can make use of baptism to overcome sin, to to be strengthened, to minister, um, to do everything that we need to do in our pilgrimage here in this life. Oh, Father, we pray that, Lord, You would cause these things to take a deep seat and root in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.